Hey, I'm Gary from Hoops and Cards, and you're listening to the NoOffSeason.com Sports Card Content Network. Be sure to subscribe to all of our podcasts, including Sports Card Strategy, Football Card Quest, and my show, Hoops and Cards. We're helping you make money to fund your PC and enjoy the hobby, because there is no off-season. What's up, everybody? I'm Paul Hickey with NoOffSeason.com. This is the Sports Card Strategy Show brought to you by Graybo's Sports Cards. Graybo's Sports Cards is a local hobby shop owned by Gray Burnett, Ryan Fitz, and Duke Denny One-Time Dodson. They're located in the Arts District of Richmond, Virginia. Graybo's sports the best selection of raw and graded singles in the Mid-Atlantic and a wide variety of wax. Graybo's Breaks on whatnot and or drip five nights a week. Listeners of Sports Card Strategy can receive a 10% discount from Graybo's on drip, whatnot, or their website at graybo's.co by entering the code STRATEGY2023. You can follow all of Graybo's news and updates on Instagram at graybo's underscore cards. Don't forget to get a free 30-day trial at NoOffSeason.com today to help you make money flipping sports cards, build your sports card investment portfolio, get unlimited advice from our experts, and take sports card school to navigate the hobby. That's NoOffSeason.com. Get your free 30-day trial today. All the data we use on the Sports Card Strategy Show is from MarketMoversApp.com. Use code NOOFFSEASON at MarketMoversApp.com to get 20% off for life after a free 14-day trial. All right, let's get to the Sports Card Strategy. Happy Monday, everyone. Welcome back to the Sports Card Strategy Show. Connor Barnett here alongside my man, Paul Hickey. Paul, how are we doing this Monday? What's up, everybody? I am pumped to be here with all of you. I got an update on my Wyatt Langford card, Connor. So uh, already some action from a couple shows ago. I'm getting it today from FedEx now that the world is back in order after the snowstorms. And I'm immediately sending it to PSA with a bulk submission that I'm going to talk more about on Wednesday's show. But I'm pumped, man. How you doing? Love it. Doing fantastic. Excited for the snow to be away. I'm an outside person, so the last week has been absolutely brutal being locked up. But excited for your Langford play to start uh, playing out. Um, Excited to get rolling with this show. We got a bunch of good stuff today. Uh, Real quick, at NoOffSeason.com, we've launched Sports Card School. It's a safe place for noobs. Advanced flippers and high rollers are like to learn how to navigate the hobby and ultimately build a collection that increases in value. Uh, you can get a 30-day free trial on the premium membership at NoOffSeason.com today to start learning our guidelines, strategies, and plays uh, that will help you make money flipping sports cards uh, to help fund your PC and other things in your life. Uh, also, we have filled our one-on-one sports card strategist package for January. Uh, however, spots will open back up again in February. So get more information and see if this package may be a good fit for you. Uh, email Paul. That's Paul, P-A-U-L, at nooffseason.com. Also, our NFL Playoffs Profit Maximization Cheat Sheet has been updated at nooffseason.com. Uh, as we head into those conference championships, be sure to check it out now. Uh, also, we will be breaking it down further on Wednesday with our special guest host, Andy Kaysen, from the Football Card Quest. All right. Per usual, we got a ton of stuff. 
jammed into this show for today. We're going to talk culture collision in our relationship with CGC cards, uh, a budget card play of the week, a potential new selling marker for top MLB prospects, uh, an L of the week concept where you shouldn't be tr uh, blindly trusting your PSA labels. Uh, we're going to see a couple segments from Dr. Crack, uh, Dr. Crack's Cracks, and grading raw prints of guys like Marvin Harrison. Uh, card shop owner feature with our guy Duke Denny, one-time Dotson of Graybos. Uh, then we're also going to hear from our audience, some goals for our audience goals, and then our Q&A to wrap things up. Uh, so be sure to drop your questions in the chat as we go through the show, and we will try to get to them during that audience Q&A. Before we hop into things, let's do some live chat love. We got a bunch of people in here already chirping. Love to see it. Let's start rolling through them. Cleo Cards, good morning. We got Mr. T. We got Jason Mayasaki. Apologies if I pronounced that wrong. Jason, definitely correct me in the chat if I'm wrong there. Happy uh, that you're able to catch a live. We got Alex Ortiz, Shane Graham, Barry Siff, Ben Douse, Craig's Cards 11, Justin Stort, Rusty Immigart, Power Bros Collect, and Randy Ferguson. You guys are already bringing it strong this morning. We're pumped to have you guys all here with us as we hop into the show. Let's go ahead and hop right into things, Paul. Let's kick things off talking about what we've been right about. Uh, we've been sending out a bunch of sell markers lately. Go ahead and take things away. Yeah, hopefully you all listened to us and liquidated your Jordan Love, Baker Mayfield, and CJ Stroud cards, all three of which we sent out sell alerts for prior to this past weekend's games. And look, if you sold Jared Goff, I'm pretty sure you're still going to be happy with the money that you made. And Connor, you know, I were talking a little bit before the show that, you know, even when these QBs win playoff games, there's been so much hype around them during the playoffs that we haven't really seen a massive spike in their cards when they've won games. So we feel like we definitely helped people liquidate those profits and, and you know crystallize them for their, their maximum profits over the last couple of weeks with these sell alerts. Is that, is that what you saw as well? Totally agree. Yeah, it's... it's Across the board, you look at a, a bunch of different metrics and a lot of different scenarios when we're talking about valuations rising based on hype. And the, it's the hype leading up to the event where you see the bigger spikes more so than the day of the actual event itself. So um, overall, I think I think we made the good decision to get those sell alerts out there. Yeah, I think, I think some of you are going to be um, able to see us this weekend at Culture Collision. We're excited to be there. So I wanted to jump right into our presence at Culture Collision. And, um, you know, anyone in the live chat, let us know if you're going to be there. Drop a comment below at youtube.com slash Paul Hickey or email me at paul at nooffseason.com. We would love to hook up with you guys at Culture Collision. Come meet us at our table. And uh, I've already been in touch with a lot of you. I know Mosaic Joe, Buckeye Dill, some of the familiar names from the nooffseason.com fam will be there. And uh, another new name in the nooffseason.com fam, CGC Cards. CGC Cards is going to be there. Um, and they are a presenting sponsor of Culture Collision. They're accepting submissions live at the event. They're the only grading company that is sponsoring Culture Collision, so props to them. They're going to be at booth G2. Fandoms collide as CGC Cards, CGC Comics, CGC video games and CGC home video head to culture collision this weekend. We're excited to link up with them. I did a live stream with Allie on Friday night and re we ripped a box of 2023, 2024 Bowman U Chrome 
basketball. And that was super fun with Ali. She does a live stream every Friday at youtube.com slash CGC cards. So definitely check that out. And, uh, you know, I am excited about culture collision, Connor. I'm excited about our new relationship with CGC cards here as part of the no offseason.com fam. So, uh, what do you think? Are you excited about, uh, about culture collision? Talk about it. Definitely. Yeah. We, we had a lot of discussion in terms of what kind of content we were, we were planning to, to gather from culture collision. Uh, it'll be just my third card show in general. So excited for that, but also, uh, we're going to, it's basically our media day. So we're excited to see a lot of, for me, especially see a lot of faces I haven't met before. Excited to uh, get together with some of the audience, some of our premium members, the family, uh, and roll down there with you and get a lot of good content. Um, so yeah, it's going to be a fantastic time. Um, but let's, uh, let's hop into, let's go ahead and segue. We we're talking CGC. They're going to be there. Uh, obviously we're developing a relationship with those guys. Do you want to go ahead and roll into uh, some of the comparisons on CGC slabs slash CSG slabs versus PSA slabs? Yeah. So our new relationship with CGC cards has gotten me a bit curious about digging into pricing differences between let's call them CGC slash CSG slabs for now. And I'll explain that in a second. And and the differences between uh, CSG and PSA slabs. And for those of you who don't know, there have been a lot of changes with the CGC labels over the past few years. So there's an overall, I think, lack of awareness of their slabs related to the actual quality in grading and experience. So specifically, they have been known uh, for the green labels in the past. And the green labels have said CSG on them. And people did not typically like the design of the green labels. But then last year, they rebranded the label to a black label. And at the same time, they changed their grading scale. So they went from a 9.5 gem mint to actually a gem mint 10, which more reflects the SGC grading scale and even the PSA grading scale. So I think that was a step in the right direction for uh, CGC, which at the time on the labels were called CSG. So a little bit of confusion. They had to they had to educate. We had to educate our audience as to what was going on, what the green label meant, what the black label meant. And there might be a lot of people out there who still have questions about it. But what I learned about the whole deal last year, starting at the Mint Collective, really, when I saw Andy Broom, their lead grader, do a presentation. And I posted that presentation at nooffseason.com. So you can find it there. It's a great presentation. But what I learned is that really CSG, CGC, has just as high of quality grading as anyone else out there, be it SGC or PSA or anyone else. And so that got me interested more in potentially buying, not only buying CSG, CGC slabs on the secondary market, but maybe even going in and grading cards myself with CSG, CGC. So while I haven't graded any cards yet, with CGC. It's probably something I'm going to take a look at, a strategic look at in 2024. And I want to just dive into some of the data here when you compare CSG slabs versus PSA slabs. Um, and again, I'm, I'm saying CGC a lot, and that is because they are about to start grading cards with a new label where they, they ride off of the coattails of CGC a little bit and they, they're going to change CSG to CGC in the labels. But if we take a look 
at just some some sold data here for a Joe Burrow 2020 Prism 307, you're going to see that you can get a gem mint, uh, old label, green label, last sold data of that card, $36.51. Now that's pretty incredible considering that is supposedly equal to a PSA 10 grade. And then if we look at just available listings of a newer black label CSG 10 gem mint. So in theory, it's the same grade as the old green label uh, CSG 9.5. There's one available right now for $89.99 on eBay, which is far under the market value of a PSA 10. But what's also interesting about that is there's another one where the buyer's asking more than the market value of a PSA 10. This seller is asking for $200, $199.99 plus free shipping. So you've got the little guy here as the seller on eBay asking for more than the PSA 10. And then you've got Palace of Collectibles here on eBay asking for far under the PSA 10. So there's a lot of opportunity out there on the market related to these old CSG labels. And really what they refer to is if you grade a card at CSG cards, um, you're going to get essentially the same grading scale with a new label, a, C a CGC label. So one other thing I want to bring up here, Connor, before we get into the discussion about this is we talk a lot about market movers and you, you know, you can save 20% after a free 14 day trial at marketmoversapp.com using the promo code no off season and marketmoversapp.com is amazing. But what I've noticed is there's not a lot of CSG CGC sales data in market movers for sports cards. I think the reason why this may be the case is because when you go into market movers and you sort by CGC, I think Market Movers is only set up for TCG, for trading card games, to bring up CGC data. And I think that is because CGC has long been one of the top grading companies for not only comic books, but also trading card games. And so I'm going to kind of flag plant here. I think two to three years from now, once all this confusion between green label, black label, CSG, CGC is in the past. And CGC has had two to three years of consistent labeling with the same grading scale with the new CGC label for sports cards. I think they can successfully ride the coattails of their branding from a TCG standpoint into sports cards. And I think they can do as well on the secondary market as SGC if they stay consistent with branding, grading scales, and labels. Who knows? They might even be able to do as well as PSA into the future. That's going to be a bit of a stretch. But again, I think there will be more consistent brand recognition over time because if you look at it, again, CSG has changed their labels. They've changed their grading scale. Now they're changing their labels again, and they're changing their acronym <laughs> from CSG to CGC, but because CGC has the brand recognition in the TCG space, this definitely could be successful over time. What do you think, Connor? Are you completely confused with all the acronyms or does this make sense? I thought you did a great job of not uh, tripping up over the acronyms. And as you were saying it, I had a, a potential sports card strategy thought coming to my 
come into my brain and I don't want to be too speculatory here, but curious to get your thoughts real quick. Um, I'm wondering if there's a potential play and, you know, you're talking about uh, CGC potentially hitting uh, the secondary market at a similar value uh, of SGC in the future, as long as that consistent branding kind of stays there. I'm wondering if there's a, a space to potentially be investing in some of these budget plays now via uh, CSG uh, slabs and be waiting for those market values of the cards to rise in the future because you can get these prints, high-end prints on a value relative to PSA cards. So that's definitely something I want to look into uh, kind of as a team and, and get more knowledgeable about to try to uh, inform our audience of. But what are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. I mean, it's definitely more of a stretch than simply buying a PSA 10, which we'll get into in a second. But you could go buy that Joe Burrow CSG Black Label 10 for 90 bucks, uh, 2020 Prism rookie card base 307 for 90 bucks. That is $52 under the market price of a PSA 10 right now. So one play to your point is you could buy that and you could see how this whole thing plays out and you could ride it into the next, you know, 12 to 24 to 36 months and see the value of that CSG 10 rise, you know, or you could always, if that doesn't play out, you could always crack and submit it to PSA like we've done in the past. Yeah, good point there. And obviously there's a lot of budget options here. You mentioned Joe Burrow, uh, and I think you've been doing some research that's found some interesting budget plays for our audience. Uh, what, what do you got cooked up for the audience in terms of Joe Burrow budget plays right now? Yeah, man, I spent a lot of time on eBay this weekend, mostly for our one-on-one -on -one strategist clients because I want them to get first dibs on the best listings I find. But I also get myself a few things too, of course, uh, like this card that isn't very exciting but should make all of us quite a bit of money. And this is the card that I just mentioned a second ago, Joe Burrow 2020 Prism Base. 307 PSA 10 last sale 142 and if you look at the last sales going back to a week ago January 15th two sold for 118 and then the next day three sold for 120 a few days after that three sold for 135 a couple days after that two more at 135 now this past weekend Multiple copies in PSA 10 sold for 142. That's what I got mine at. I think when you look at the data, first of all, this is a card that could definitely safely in September go back up to 200 to $250. When he puts back on a uniform again and starts playing football in regular season games, there is no question this this card should not only go over $200, but it should go to its previous September price in 2023 of 250 Now, Connor, this is when he was limping around with that weird calf injury, right? So if he's actually playing well, and we go back to a sample size of data when he was playing well the previous year, this card, or even just this card in August of 2023, sold for $355. That's just in, that's when he was limping around, wasn't even playing in the preseason game. So this card has massive upside and to get it at $142 right now is a steal. There's several listings out there. I think this is something everyone watching and listening to this show can go do right now. And the other point too, is that we're not even getting it at its floor anymore. We're getting it just about 
five to 10% up from its floor. And I know a lot of investors talk about not necessarily buying at the floor, but buying right as the card starts to rise again, because it's, it's a sign to the market. It's a sign to the potential buyer that the market hasn't given up on this particular card or this particular stock, right? So if we look at it like investing stocks or investing in cards, which we talk about all the time, this seems to be hitting that perfect formula of people have not given up on this card because it's starting to rise in price, but it's still within five to 10% of that floor. And again, when you look at marketmoversapp.com and you look at the chart of this particular card over the last 365 days, there is no reason to believe that we should all not profit from buying into this card right this second. Yeah, great breakdown here. And I love I love the discussion of the market in terms of buying uh, on the way up from the floor, kind of that 5% mark that you hit. And I think that leads us into an interesting, uh, maybe a, a bit of, I don't, it's not necessarily a direct challenge because uh, I think this is a great time to be buying that card. You know, the, the data that you put together, data slash data shows that uh, the upside is obviously there and you're, and you're buying at a very good price point. But just a general thought uh, in terms of our guidelines, I wanted to discuss buying quarterbacks after being eliminated. So, you know, once we saw... Uh, the, the Jaguars, unfortunately, got bounced out towards the end of the season via collapse. Obviously, Joe Burrow, an unfortunate injury. Uh, we were kind of chomping at the bits because we're thinking, well, these guys' card markets are going to drop down to prices where we can finally purchase them at a good spot. Obviously, we're not saying I'm not saying uh, here in my argument that potentially you shouldn't be buying Burrow right now. But what I am saying is that there might be something to look at in terms of what the NFL playoffs do as a whole to sports cards, even for people that are eliminated. So <clears throat> let's look at trends between Joe Burrow and Trevor Lawrence. If you look at Joe Burrow's entire graded card market the last 365 days, it's down 24.7%, which is pretty pretty healthy drop. Last seven days, however, it's up 2%. The last 14 days, it's still up 1%. Same for Trevor Lawrence. Last 365, down 19.2%. Last seven days, it's up 1.8%. And last 14 days, it's up 4.4%. These guys have been doing nothing but sitting on the couch for the last two weeks, and their and their cards are going up. Um, obviously that, that borough print that you're recommending is still in a great spot to buy right now, but I'm wondering, should we be considering that maybe the playoffs as a whole can see individual cards still, still gain value for guys that have been eliminated for reference, the 2018 to 2020 football releases in the last 30 days uh, are up 16.9% as a whole. Obviously Trevor Lawrence is 2021, uh, but we don't have that data available to us. So you can likely assume that that one year difference uh, would have reacted similarly to those 2018 to 2020 cards. So curious your thoughts here, Paul. Should we be waiting until the offseason actually hits to kind of get those guys uh, at an even lower price point? I think so. I mean, I think a good example of that too is that I bought a Jalen Hurts 2020 Optic Hollow PSA 10 for like 285 bucks and talked about it on the sports card strategy show in December. And I was all excited about it. And one month later, that card's down 60 bucks. And I think part of it is because the Eagles played very poorly towards the end of the season and because the Eagles got eliminated from the playoffs. But I think um, that is where the trend is going is that people uh, still are buying football cards throughout the season. So even though these cards have gone down, to your point, looking at digging in further and seeing Trevor Lawrence, Joe Burrow actually going up when they're sitting on the bench a little bit absolutely tells me that, A, there's so much interest in football cards that there really is no offseason, and B, to wait until football is done being played is going to only further the chances 
that there's less people thinking about investing in these cards. And so I think you're right. I think you could definitely see deals, even, even better deals on some of these cards after the Super Bowl, because that's when a lot of people start to turn their attention to buying basketball cards. We've talked about immediately after the Super Bowl being a good selling marker for basketball cards. And so I think turning the attention to buying these cards even after the Super Bowl is a great call by you, Connor. So again, don't have FOMO. Make sure that you're getting the deal on these cards. Don't feel like you have to buy in right now, even though we're telling you it's phenomenal deals and you can buy in right now. If you are, if you wait, if you are patient and, and go into this after the Super Bowl, there's a very, very good chance that you could find even better deals. I would say the only counter argument to that, playing devil's ad, advocate with that, and part of the reason why I'm buying in is because from my experience, what happens after the Super Bowl a lot of times is astute sellers would rather hold their card than list them. And so I think the risk with some of these PSA 10s of the top players like this with Burrow and Trevor Lawrence with a lot of hype around them is that you might have less opportunities. And because football is still being played, I think a lot of people missed out on the, on the selling marker earlier for whatever reason. Maybe just life got in the way. And now there's just more opportunity to buy in. And so the risk is that there might not be as many available on the market after the Super Bowl. And so you might end up having to pay the same prices or a little bit higher throughout the offseason because like we see with baseball prospecting, we talk a lot, of, a lot about how there's not a lot of baseball prospect cards available uh, around the World Series and around Thanksgiving and around December because people are holding them. I think you could see a little bit of that, but I mean, not overanalyzing it. I mean, I think now is just a great time to dig in between now and probably uh, the end of June. I think I think July is going to be, you know, it's national season. Everyone's all about football at the national. Training camp starts back up in, in July. And so I think, I think you've got a, a pretty solid season of about six months to go go in pretty heavy on these football cards yeah i think i think that's a really good devil's advocate point that you made there paul kind of uh once we hit the once we hit that point where uh sellers just have less uh a or there's less demand and sellers there's gonna be less of a supply to kind of get in then you're almost risking not being able to get that option and having to pay that higher price point uh, once it does become available once they actually want to list it because nobody wants to list their cards at the worst time possible to sell them so i think that's a really good point there i think maybe what i'm saying is uh, if you can use that that time if you're being patient and can't find the exact card that you're looking for right now for the price you're looking you may be able to find an option later on but uh good debate there in terms of of uh buying marker talk let's hop into a little bit of sell marker talk so uh we've been talking mlb prospects pretty much every show uh for the last several months or since i've been a part of them and we got more mlb prospect uh, debate and information bring you guys today, uh, courtesy of Paul Hickey. So Paul, what are you seeing uh, in terms of sell markers for these prospects? Yeah, we've got a lot of questions from all of you in the nooffseason.com sports card strategy show fam. We appreciate that. Many of you have asked about the best time to sell prospects other than the call up 
or to simply mitigate against players not having the right call-up timing or hype. A lot of guys last year got called up either at, right at the beginning of the season when people didn't have their cards back from PSA yet, like Jordan Walker and Anthony Volpe. And then there was like the Jordan Lawlers of the world and the Junior Camineros of the world who got stuck with a late August call-up or just a late summer call-up in general. And really, nobody cared at that point. So we have the answer for those of you holding prospects with an expected call-up date of either later than 2024 to avoid prospect fatigue or holding guys that have already been called up. And the answer is the selling marker, the new selling marker that we talked about on the Overflow Show for premium members this past Friday, and we hinted at it at the end of 2023, the spring breakout. There is a 30-team prospect showcase that will debut in March. MLB.com is promoting it. All of the baseball world is going to be tuned into the Spring Breakout 2024. So you've got guys like Ethan Salas that might not get a call-up until who knows when. You've got guys like even new guys like Dylan Cruz and... um. Paul Skeens, you've got guys like Jackson Holiday playing in this. And so if you're holding a lot of prospects, Jackson Merrill is another guy, another guy, Junior Caminero, I mentioned a minute ago. Junior Caminero got the call up. And so in, in at the end of last MLB season, and so we were all like, what do we do with Junior Caminero cards? Do we sell them right now at the call up? I think we sent out a sell alert, but there was a little bit of a caveat in there that you know you might still have his cards at PSA. So what do you do in that scenario? I think this. MLB showcase, prospect showcase, is the antidote to the problem of either prospect fatigue and wanting to get profits from guys who might not be called up in 2024 or having held guys too long past the call-up. I think this is the answer. So I think this could be a strong exit point for the non-top three guys in our rankings, anyone that isn't named Holiday, Churio, or Langford. And I think it could even be a nice selling marker for Holiday because he's going to be featured in the spring breakout playing against Paul Skeens on March 14th as the Orioles take on the Pirates. So definitely do your own research here and text sports cards to 1-833-992-5727 for our sell alerts during this time period because we're going to be sending out a lot of sell alerts. We're going to be monitoring the prices of a lot of these prospects that appear in this showcase and we're definitely going to be maybe even changing up the whole sell at the call-up strategy for a lot of these guys. I know a lot of you are probably holding multiple copies of Jackson Holiday cards, Jackson Churio cards, and so it could be a great opportunity to mitigate against some risk, liquidate maybe like half of your portfolio of Holiday or of Churio during this time period, and then hold the other half for potential markers like an official call-up or an official debut in the MLB. Yeah, fantastic breakdown there, Paul. Uh, I think the spring breakout is essentially like when you look at baseball and baseball fans, this is a this is a market where people care about the prospects. They are following teams farm systems. It's not it's it's essentially this spring breakout, I think, is gonna be like uh the NBA summer league on crack. I think that it's going to be a legitimate marker to use, especially like you're mentioning for guys that aren't maybe at the top of our rankings. Uh, and I think you answered pretty much every question I could have here. So phenomenal breakdown and a really good point in terms of trying to mitigate risk. If you're already seeing profits, even if they are some of those top three guys that are in our rankings. So 
uh, definitely stay tuned. Like Paul said, make sure you sign up for those uh, sell alerts and we're going to keep you guys posted on uh, market changes within that scene there. Speaking of uh, staying locked into finding data and keeping everyone up to date, there might not be anyone that does it better than Dr. Crack. Uh, so unless you had anything else to add there, Paul, let's go ahead and hop into, oh, I'm sorry, excuse me. I got ahead of myself there. We're going to talk uh, learning lessons real quick before we get to Dr. Crack. So uh, I think that maybe you've had to learn a lesson the hard way. So let's go ahead and hop into your experiences uh, and, and help the audience stay aware of what's going on. Yeah, we care about sharing our experiences with the NoOffSeason.com family. That is how we all learn and improve as flippers. And guess what? A buyer on eBay pointed out something that slipped right past me the other day when I was selling a card that I wanted to share with you all. And the PSA label had the wrong card number on it. So for those of you listening... I am showing everyone watching at youtube.com slash Paul Hickey right now my 2023 Topps Chrome Bronny James All-American PSA 10. And on the front of the card on the PSA label, it says number 20. But on the back of the card, it's number 68. So this was PSA's error, obviously. Uh, clearly, it says 68. I had submitted it as card 68. They labeled it number 20, but then it was my fault because when I got it back, I didn't check it. I didn't even look, I didn't even double check the photo that they had sent me. So my flow is to essentially just take the photo in my PSA account, download the front and the back, save the name of the photo file as the name of the card that shows up in my PSA account cleaned it up just a little bit in terms of how I want it to look on my eBay listing, and then essentially just copy and paste the photo name into the eBay title, into the eBay description, and then upload the photos so that it's a super efficient process for me selling all the cards that I sell. And we talk about this flow at Sports Card School. But the one thing that I missed is that PSA made the mistake here. It's card number 68. I listed it as card number 20. Luckily, my buyer was nice enough to say, hey, I think you missed this and unintentionally it's wrong in the title. So I'm not going to nick you in my review. I'm still going to give you a review, a good review, and I'm not going to I'm not going to worry too much about having bought this card with the wrong label on it. And I apologize to the buyer. I said you're exactly right. It's totally my fault. I didn't double check the listing. I didn't double check the label. And so I think there's two lessons here. I think ideally you would catch this in the QA review process of your PSA grading. Because in theory, PSA should be telling you, this is what we think this card is, and this is what we think this is going to be on the label. Can you double check it for us? Okay, a lot of people don't double check that. I don't typically double check that because I'm grading a lot of cards. And I pretty much just trust PSA. But don't just blindly trust PSA. Don't just blindly trust the label when you get it back. So this is another reason to A, check your PSA account for these updates, double check them where you can still help them get your label correct. And then B, when you get your PSA submission back in the mail, for those of you receiving physical mail at the address that you reside in, open your PSA boxes 
within five business days of when you get them and double check all of the labels, make sure your slabs aren't cracked. Why? Because if you wait longer than five business days, PSA will charge you for a re-slab or a relabel. If you do it within five business days, it's free to send in this slab and say, this was a mistake on your part. You gave it the wrong label. They will give you a new relabel for free. Now, this isn't always going to be an exact science. Like I wanted to sell this Bronny James card as soon as I got it back. So really, if I would have waited for a relabel or something like that, that might not have done me any good because I wanted to sell this as soon as I got it back. And I, as you can see, $61, I still profited from this card because it was about $15 uh, for the card and about $19 for the grading fee. But I want everyone out there to be aware and to learn from my mistakes. So don't just blindly trust your PSA QA review. Don't just blindly trust your PSA label. And then lastly, open up your PSA boxes within five business days of when they show in your account. And thank you, thank you, thank you to the buyer of this card, ProCards99, for showing me some grace and not nicking me with a negative review on eBay. Yeah, awesome breakdown, Paul. I think uh, good job making audience aware kind of that five-day stretch in terms of making sure they're open to get that, that re-slab if needed. I think the big takeaway here is that uh, even though, you know, PSA historically is, is pretty solid and they're such a huge business, at, at the end of the day, they're doing thousands and thousands of submissions and you're getting your 20-card bulk play sent back. Uh, so it's kind of in your court at that point to make sure you're staying up to date and checking for any errors there just because the volume that they're pushing out, especially with it seems like uh, speeds are increasing. So I think maybe uh, we got to cut them a little bit of slack uh, and understand that it's not an exact 100% science all the time. But awesome breakdown there, Paul. Uh, now that I did get ahead of myself, let's go ahead and hop over uh, into Dr. Crack. We've got a, a, a multi-part segment from him. Um, first, we're going to get Dr. Crack's cracks, and then we're going to hop over uh, to a grade and submit play. Yeah, nobody stays on top of PSA like angry customer Chad Dr. <laughs> crack. So take it away, brother. We are going to go with none other than Raiders legend Marcus Allen. 1983 tops. Card number 294, it is Marcus Allen's rookie card. I love chasing after Hall of Famers. Um, it makes, that that is when, when the selling marker is people like myself collect Hall of Famers. When you can get a high-grade Hall of Fame card, they sell like butter. They are so easy to sell. All you have to do is get the crack, get the half a grade, and profit that is your sell marker so this card here we are once again looking for the sgc 95 this card most recently sold last week for 62 dollars and 40 cents 38 bids 62 dollars and 40 cents i wish i'd have seen it i'd have bid on it myself if it gets a psa 9 60 bucks so you lose your grading fee essentially but if it gets the PSA 10 and you make that half a grade jump, this card sells for $855. So you're risking a grading fee for a chance to go from $62. Let's just say, let's just say you got to pay a hundred bucks for the card. <laughs> you got to, you get in a bidding war with somebody else because now everybody out watch all of our listeners are bidding against each other and it goes for a hundred dollars. You can eight to nine X your money if it jumps from an SGC 9.5 to a PSA 10. My statistics show 
This is different from an SGC 9.5 to a PSA 10 because of the era of the card. 1986 and older, I put in the same category. 1986 and older SGC 9.5 to a PSA 10 cracks and submits over at a 41% clip. So this is not the 60, 70, 80% that we've been seeing. But again, for an 8 to 9x your money for the cost of a grading fee, I'm willing to I'm willing to take a 15 or $20 chance at an $800 profit. Right. Love it. Yeah. And another way to look at it is taking a, a 40, you get a 40% shot at 800% profit, essentially. Yeah. SGC 9.5, $62.40. PSA 9, $60. PSA 10, $855. 1986 and prior, my statistics show SGC 9.5 to PSA 10, 41% gem rate. Right. So you have a 41% chance of taking that at 12Xing your money for the cost of a grading fee. That's the type of risk I'm wanting to take. Love it. Yeah. The, a huge takeaway every time we do these chat is that you find plays. Obviously you find like, there's a lot of times you can find plays that have high upsides, a lot of ways to find them. And obviously you do, you're fantastic at finding them, but where your skill to me really comes in is that you find these things that have the floors are, 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 there's no, there's no deep meaning in the floor that, that can exist in the plays that you find um, because of where the pricing's already at for these. This is a risky play for you, I would say, and the, the only thing you're risking is a grading fee. It's a one of the lower percentiles you have on your end in terms of tracking. Potential profit, 800 bucks for a 15 or $20 grading fee. Sign me up. Exactly. Dr. Crack's the best, man. It, the finds that he it, it's incredible that he finds the discrepancies in prices here. It really is on a weekly basis for us. And when you're talking about sacrificing potentially 20 bucks in a grading fee to 12x uh, your profits, if you're able to find this print, um, I think it's just a testament to Dr. Crack and the research that he does for all of you guys. So uh, one thing that I want to mention, we're going to we pretty much have Dr. Crack segments every week. If any of you guys find these plays and make these plays. Let us know how you did. We definitely want to get feedback. Um, and we're going to keep getting more plays from Dr. Crack. We've been talking a lot about Marvin Harrison, as particularly Paul has, as a prospect uh, with high upside through Bowman Chrome University. Um, Chad's got multiple ways that you can make money on Marvin Harrison. And I do want to preface, I asked I asked Chad a question at the in the middle of this interview that might be a little bit difficult to follow. So I will clarify uh, once the, the video ends. So if, you sound, if I sound confusing or you are confused, hang tight. We'll clarify and dive into it a little bit deeper after the video. But, Paul, you want to let Chad take things away with this uh, grading play? Let's go. Trying to um, be complimentary to you and Paul here uh, in terms of some of these plays. Um, so the next one is Paul has been beating his chest and planting his flag on the Bowman Chrome University. Um, he is planting his flags on the wide receivers and the, the quarterbacks. So I thought I would go with one of the wide receivers. This is an easy layup type play for those listening. It is the 2023 Bowman Chrome University card number 100, Marvin Harrison Jr. I did this play in both the base card and the refractor. 
I'm going to go over base card first and I'll explain why. So this card, Connor, you can get most recently as of January 16th for $4. Not a very expensive investment, whether you want to buy 5, 10, 15, 20 and do a bulk play, whatever you want, whatever your play is, it's an inexpensive entry point for only $4. With the special currently going $15 for grading, you're going to have 20 bucks invested with shipping uh, in this card. PSA 9, the most recent sale on January 14th was $20. So your PSA 9s, you're essentially going to bust even less your eBay fees or whatever fees you have. And then the PSA 10 selling for $75 as of January 9th. I expect the 9 and the 10 to creep up a little bit as the hype builds coming into um, the draft and the combines. Um, I don't know with Marvin Harrison Jr. if he's going to compete in the combines. I Because if he were to get hurt or to not put up spectacular numbers, it might hurt his draft status. So I expect he probably will not compete in the combines um, because he is expected to be a top three or four pick as it stands. Um, but a $4 investment, $20 all in, get your money back at a PSA 9 and get $75 back on a PSA 10. This card has only been graded so far 72 times, but 44 of them have come back a gem 10. So 61% is, is gem. I actually did this play with one card um, and I've got it on eBay right now. It Mine did come back a PSA 10. PSA 9's 25 of the 72 for 34%. That makes 69 out of 72 cards graded by PSA so far, 95.8%, almost 96% chance of breaking even or turning a profit. Um, with the draft coming up and you know that your selling marker is near, I think that you probably got to get these cards into PSA within the next week to 10 days to make sure you get it at the $15 special as well as hopefully getting them back. You wanna make sure that they're back in time for the draft. Sure, yeah. Another really good play, and uh, you mentioned time sensitivity for this one. Uh, and and I wanted to kind of dive a little bit deeper into it. So uh, something we talked about together that, that you enlightened me with a few weeks ago is we were talking about uh, the difference in uh, pricing valuation speed changes for PSA 10s versus PSA 9s. So um, you mentioned as we get closer to the kind of hype cycles, we could see uh, the prices rise, particularly for the tens. Um, if we're going to see potentially see a slight delay in the nines rising, uh, is that another factor people should look at? Maybe not necessarily just for this play, but as a general guideline uh, for trying to make uh, the plays where um, you're trying to take raw cards and get them graded because you want to at that point uh, keep that separation closer together where uh, the nines uh have caught up in this particular type play because because you've got a basically you know you're less than 120 day window to the draft right now um the nines will when the tens start to move north the nines will follow but it'll take a few days but the nines will be there by draft day it's not like they're gonna you aren't gonna see nines lagging behind after the draft 
um, th they'll get caught up. Um, there's no doubt. So when you list these cards, whether you're doing it in a seven day, 10 day or buy it now, um, as long as you have them back in hand, ready to go by the draft, um, you're, you're going to turn a profit on this play. Love Marvin Harrison as a prospect. Great find by you, Dr. Crack. I think uh, you mentioned a, a part two kind of for this a one. A part two. So here's here's the part two, and here's why it is a little bit of a question mark. The refractor. Um, the same exact card, card number 100 in a refractor. Raw, Connor, it only sells for 425 It's a quarter more than a base. So I'm not sure why you wouldn't make this play. They're a little bit harder to come by, but if you can get a refractor, I don't see why you wouldn't make this play. Um, but here's why, here's, here's, here's the caveat, Connor. There've only been 24 refractors graded so far. There've been zero sales, not any sales of any kind in a graded refractor PSA card. So there's no data on a PSA 9 or a PSA 10. So this play is a little bit, you're, you're kind of going a little bit blind. Sure. But if the base, it's only 25 cents more for the, the entry point, a refractor always sells for more than a base. So if the base is going to turn a profit, Connor, the refractor will as well. Um, so far... 24 cards, get this, 19 of the 24 have come back PSA 10s, 79%. That is an eye-popping number for a PSA 10 gem rate. Um, and I think the reason why none of them have sold is because everybody that's interested in Bowman University right now is only interested in it because they're flipping it. And the refractors, they're hanging on to. There's no need to sell that refractor right now. Um, I looked back on the pop date. The first refractor graded was in early December. So these are all recent. I expect that number to grow between now and the time of the draft. But uh, you're talking 79% PSA 10s, 12% PSA 9s. So 92% chance of a 9 or better. Um, I actually like the refractor play better than the base play. Um, if you can find the refractors, I think the margins will be larger once you start to see some sales of the nines and the tens. Um, but there aren't any yet. So that's that's why this is a, a bit of a unique recommendation because there are zero recorded sales as of as of the time of recording this. Sure. Yeah, I really that's a great it's kind of a market discrepancy that you found, right? Because uh, the the oddity of finding a base in a refractor that are so similarly priced obviously is uh, not frequent. Real quick, I, not to be too speculative here, but what are your thoughts in terms of uh, how much uh, upside relative to a base that we think this refractor can have? Well, I figured you'd ask this follow up question, Connor. So I compared um, I compared a couple of quarterbacks. And nice. I went with their base versus their refractor, and I came up with a, I don't know if you want to call it a, uh, you know, a, a chart, so to speak. But the refractors from the PSA 9 to the PSA 10 in the three quarterbacks that I looked at versus the 9 and 10 of the base, the PSA 9 
base to PSA 9 refractor, the refractor sold for about 15% more than a base, but the refractor um, PSA 10s sold for 35% more than a base. So, and now these are quarterbacks, so it might be a little bit higher than you're going to see with a receiver, but even a, you know, even if it's 10 or 15% more, that $75 now becomes $90 and it's the same $4 or five, you know, let's just say you got to pay. So you get in a bidding war and you pay $6 and you pay $2 more than a base to get that $90 potentially, you know, uh, on a PSA 10 with a 20% higher gem rate. Um, it, this is a play that I am actively, I have actively watching six of these cards on eBay. I have not bought any yet, uh, but beware if you go to bid against them, uh, you're probably going to be getting bidding against me. So I am going to make this play myself. Nice little two for one special from Dr. Crack there. We got the base and the refractor play for Marvin Harrison Jr. Let's start with the talking about the base a little bit. I want to clarify my question to Chad. So a little bit of background. A couple of weeks ago, uh, me and Chad were in a recording and he was he was he enlightened me, like I said in the video, that uh, PSA nines will move similarly in pricing in terms of uh, fluctuation, not in terms of value uh, to PSA tens, but they will lag behind and move at a much slower rate. Um, so this made me think with essentially with these plays in this one in particular, we'll, we'll take this one. It was a 95 percent chance or, or something similar to that uh, to get a nine or a ten. So at that point, your risk essentially is getting the PSA 9. So because of this, when we look at mitigating risk, we have to look at that 9 and figure out how to, if we are going to get it, mitigate the discrepancy in pricing from the 10 and the 9. So my thought there is, Paul, and my question for you is, do we need to be looking at those players' markers to try to figure out when that 9 is going to move closer to the 10 in pricing so that there's not a bigger discrepancy when you do get those 9s? So are you talking about like a separate selling marker for the nines in essence than, than the tens in a way? Uh, uh, maybe so, but more so at knowing at what point we think the nine is going to catch up to the 10. So it's not right. such a wide range if you do get a nine. Well, first of all, I want to validate this because I heard you and Chad talk about it on a deep dive. And recently, as I've been digging into market movers, I have seen that Lamar Jackson PSA nines have moved up quite a bit. Luka Doncic PSA 9s have moved up quite a bit, speaking specifically to their Prism rookie cards, Prism-based rookie cards. And uh, it does follow the trend that Chad's talking about in terms of after the PSA 10s start to rise, the PSA 9s start to rise. Um, so I think there's something to what you're saying. I think the answer to what you're saying is yes. I think, you, I think we should all start thinking about our PSA 9s as not just the loss leader that Lefty and I have build them as but also potentially profitable although marginal mar marginal profit but still profitable sort of i guess waste product let's call it if you look at if you look at a grading submission as like your your cost of doing business your tens are your main product that you're going to be putting on your shelves and then your your nines and lower are your waste we can make money from our waste product by following the strategy that you and Chad have have uh, uncovered in your content, which is awesome. Now, one thing I wanted to say is uh, related to the refractor PSA nines. 
Chad made a good point. Like we're kind of pioneers in this space a little bit with the Bowman Chrome U first. There's not a lot of sales data. We're going on the fact that we know we're ahead of the curve and we can make money on this. We've already made money on it. So it's tried and true. We're not worried about that. But because we're such pioneers in this space, there's not a lot of sales data. That can be actually really good. Um, we talk about it being potentially bad because a lack of liquidity, but not in this case. These cards are super liquid, so we're not worried about it. So the lack of sales data we can actually use to our advantage in terms of how to price these cards. So how to price our PSA 9, Marvin Harrison, Bowman Chrome first bases, or our Bowman Chrome first refractors. I like to go back to Caleb Williams. It seems like Chad maybe took some quarterbacks from the 2023 release. I'm going to give you some data from the Caleb Williams 2022 release. So same NFL draft class, same selling marker as the Marvin Harrison card, but a year prior release. There's more sales data for that. The PSA 9 refractor first 2022 Caleb Williams sells for about 50 to $60. That's pretty solid considering that you can probably go get that refractor for somewhere around 15 to $20. And then you've got the grading fee at PSA. And we're not even at the marker yet. So the PSA 9 refractor using Caleb Williams as a data point potentially for a Marvin Harrison, even though they play two different positions, we're talking about number one and number two in, in this year's draft class. So I think... Chad's right on the money. I, I'm totally aligned with everything he said in this video. I love your line of questioning. I think there's tons of opportunities still for people to make these types of plays. And even if they get PSA 9s back, for the refractor especially, I would hold those till around the same selling marker. Maybe we need to hold them a couple of days more to see the PSA 10s go up. Or maybe we sell them right at the same selling marker as the PSA 10s. Nice. Yeah. Good breakdown there. And shout out to Chad Gill, Dr. Crack, uh, for phenomenal insight. Once again, uh, you guys will continue to see him on a regular basis. Uh, but let's go ahead and transition into another person uh, we absolutely love getting to sit down and talk with. And that's our guy, Duke Dodson, over at Graybos. Uh, Paul, you were able to sit down with him and do a little card shop owner feature. Uh, so let's go ahead and hop in and hear from our boy, Duke Denny, one time Dodson. Denny, giblets. All right, I am here with my main man, Duke Denny, one-time Dodson from Graybo's Sports Cards in Richmond, Virginia, and worldwide, quite <laughs> frankly. And uh, we're talking to card shop owners, our favorite card shop owners throughout the world here on the Sports Card Strategy Show. And of course, we need to have Duke on to talk about that. Duke, how you doing today, man? I'm fantastic, Paul. How are you today? I'm doing great. Tell us real quick, for the Sports Card Strategy Show and NoOffSeason.com audience who don't know you yet, I'd be shocked if anyone who's already listened to the show doesn't know you. But for, for the new listeners, give us your background and, and uh, what you're doing and, and how you started Graybos. So, yeah, so I come from like the real estate, property management and development world um, and started a business, ran it for 15 years and sold most of it uh, about a year and a half ago. And at that time, I decided to partner with my brother-in-law, who is who is Graybo, he's the he's the logo man, and our mutual friend Ryan Fitz uh, to launch Graybo. So we started this uh, this shop in Richmond, Virginia, almost a year ago today, and uh, we're getting moving to some bigger space in about two months. And it's been a really fun uh, fun journey so far, uh, learning this business and uh, and launching it and and kind of seeing it grow. It's been a really fun experience so far. So, what are the major differences between running a uh, sports card? local hobby shop mm -hmm. 
and any other business that you've ever run? I'd say the, uh, the good and the bad, right? The good is it's really fun. And most of the people you interact with are happy to see you and they're happy when they leave and they leave you nice remarks and Instagram and on Google reviews and whatever. Like there's more happy people in the hobby than, than like angry people. And I think the business I came from property management, uh, it's, I love that business, ran it for 15 years, but like, like a lot of businesses, I would say like the restaurant business and the airline business, like the, it's just prone to have angry people in it. <laughs> and so your day is like, instead of like you spend the day, like interacting with happy interactions, you, there's a lot of negative interactions in a lot of businesses. And so, that's what's cool about the hobby. As long as you're honest and ethical and treat people well and take care of people, like they seem to want to help you. They want to help you grow. They want to come into the shop and just hang out and talk. And, and like, they just want to be part of the whole kind of brand and experience. And that is by, that's the good, right? That's the good about the, the card shop. I would say that the negative, um, it's a really hard business to make a living, uh, like to make, turn a profit. Like, uh, in other episodes, I've talked to you about the allocation issue and how you have to get allocation to turn a profit in this business. And it's very hard to do. And, and without allocation, you're just not getting waxed at a price where you can make any kind of a profit. And then you're turning singles, flipping singles, you know, buying collections and selling them at singles auctions or buying one off larger slabs and selling that. You can make a little money on each card, but it's a lot of work per dollar earned. It's a lot of risk because like you're buying something that changes in value could go in the last year and a half. A lot of stuff has gone down, as you know. Um, and so and then you're and the other part is you're getting taxed like every step of the way when I, what I mean by that is you buy a card from a customer, they're negotiating it up because they want to get as much as possible as they should. And then when you're selling it, they're negotiating it down as hard as they can. Um, at, at, in this business, it's customary to pay for things in cash and the price quoted is the price. And so that basically means that a shop owner, you're eating sales tax. If you have sales tax in your state and we do, and we're eating 6% there. If we sell on eBay, we're, you're, they're eating 13% there. And if you're buying up, card for 70% of the value and, and the guy wants to buy it at 85 to 90% of value and you're getting taxed six or 13%. That, that gets gobbled up really quick. So it's hard, you know, it's a hard business, but it's a fun one. And I'm really glad that we're doing it. And we're, we're, our crew is determined and hardworking and stubborn and, per, and we persevere. So like, we're going to find a way to, to make this a successful business long-term, but it, it's not for the faint of heart and it's not easy. We talk about flipping sports cards on our show and you made me think of something when you're talking about like everything chipping away at your profit margin. Do you feel like you have to be good flippers? Yeah. Like, so it's weird being an investor flipper, like coming from that mindset and then being a shop owner, because you often have to decide which, which hat am I wearing? Right. Like if someone comes into your shop um, and if you, if they come to you and you're a flipper, then you're just thinking from your lens, like, is this a card I want to buy? Is this an athlete I believe in? How long am I holding it? Whatever. Um, you might buy a card today because the price is down and you want to hold it a year, a year and a half, um, or until they get pulled up from single A to double A or whatever, right? But as a card shop owner, I can't buy something and put it on the shelf and tell that customer, oh, I don't want to sell it to you today. I'm, I'm, I'm holding on to that because like, they're like, well, I come into your shop to buy it at comp or below. I don't come to your shop to, to pay you more than market because you want to hold on to, you know, uh, Ellie De La Cruz or who, whoever it is. And so you got to decide which hat are you wearing? And so we've decided we're basically always wearing the card shop owner hat, which means we will buy it from you if you think we could sell it. And if we would want to sell it quickly, we don't want to hold on to it forever. So we're trying to buy at a price where we can sell it quickly at a little bit more. And that's what, you know, that's the profit that, that keeps us in business. And then, you know, you know, I have this fund, which is like a side project. The fund is where we put our investor hat on 
And then we buy those usually bigger cards and we are putting them in a safe. We're not even putting them out on the shelf because we don't want to sell it today because we bought it today because we think it's going to go up in, in the future. That's awesome. That's awesome. I think it's very relatable to, to a lot of our audience who have, you know, even though they might not be card shop owners, I think I want to talk to card shop owners like you on the sports card strategy show, because um, if they have their own eBay store and things like that, you know, there might be a similar mindset with having to split between um, keeping the cash flowing in and, and actually making investments. So um, I wanted to ask you about seasonality. This, you know, we talk a lot about seasonality in, in our content. Does seasonality influence your inventory and stock decision-making? Absolutely. Um, the, the way the seasonality, um, I think you got to understand um, athletes that are down or up in value because of a current situation, maybe an injury or maybe because of seasonality and understand what you're buying. And um, like, look at like someone like John Morant, for example, right? Like uh, in the dead of the off season, he's going to be down and the hype for the preseason is going to be up, but then he gets suspended. So he's down then he comes back and he's playing well. So he's up now he's injured for the season. Now he's down. Like you just got to know where you are in that cycle and how much risk you're taking. Um, Cause you don't want to be buying a ton of football two weeks before the season at top dollar only to see it drop a month or two later. You know, you don't sell it in time and all of a sudden everything's down. So you, now you're now as a card shop owner, you bought it for something and you're going to sell it for less. Right? You're losing one like that. Most businesses don't buy something for a dollar and sell it for 80 cents. They buy it for a dollar and sell it for two. And in our business, we're trying to buy it for a dollar and sell it for a dollar, $20, really fast. And so, but there's really, it's like, it's one of the few businesses that, um, you buy a product that changes in value. Like that's, that's, that's unique to, you know, to this business. And then um, your other part of the question, seasonality, the, the main, like this isn't seasonality, but it's, it's akin to it is, is people want the new wax. So you get as much of the new wax as you can. You sell a bunch of it real fast. The next thing they want to do is they want to rip it and they want to come back into your store and sell some of the hits. And a lot of these, like some products hold their value in each sport, but some products, really peak in month one and then they go down sharply in month two, three, four. So if you, as a card shop, if you're just like blindly looking at comps and you're, you're buying all these like weird parallels of, of, I don't know, top Sterling and um, like triple threads and these things that are cool products, but like seven years from now, you're not trying to get J rods triple thread. Like you're trying to get J rods Bowman first. Right. So like what Bowman first, you know, I'll jokingly, and I think lefty was like Bowman first is forever and all these other things are temporary. So when we first started, we didn't know that as well. And we're just buying a comp We're buying, you know, we're buying 70% of comp and then all the stuff uh, a month later was half the price. And so I think that's something you really have to be aware of as a card shop owner. Yeah, that's a great point. Great point. So speaking of, of flipping and just understanding seasonality, one, one thing we always kind of talk about on the sports card strategy show and, and just to people in the hobby in general when we're off the air is this whole PCing versus flipping. And I'm curious to your take on the split of your customer base based on what you know so far. What would you say, what would you estimate the split of your customer base being between flippers and PCers? I would think it it's going to change based on the, the economy and the market. So in the peak of COVID and the peak of the boom, um, I think you're going to have a higher percentage of PCers. You're having people like Drake come into the hobby and wants to buy a Jordan PSA 10, 86 Fleer. And then in a down economy, Drake's less likely to be in, in the market, right? So the A, values drop. 
and be more of the people that are in it or like trying to make a living at it. Um, like the PC or people PC when they have discretionary income and extra money and, and uh, it's more likely to be in a good market. So I would say now, like today in our shop, 60 to 70% of the people are out there trying to turn a profit. Um, you know, you've got like probably the third category is like the gamblers, like the wax rippers, like the people that buy into breaks and they come into the shop, they want to rip a box and put on Instagram and get that little rush and, and they'll, then they'll sell us some of the cards back and, but they're, you know, they're going to, they're not going to leave with a profit. But, um, what's interesting to me is the younger generation, I'll say like 10 to 15 year old kids. I am amazed at how sharp they are. Um, understanding values, understanding how to negotiate. They, kids come into our shop, they come for blood uh, and, and they're serious about it. And they, they, and some, I don't know who taught them to negotiate. Maybe it's like, they don't, they don't care. Like I, I probably would have cared as a kid. I would have been, I would have been, I was nervous to negotiate with an adult and these kids, man, like if you're in, in poker, there's a saying um, in the first 30 minutes at the table, if you can't spot the sucker, it's you. And then when we opened the shop and these 13 or 14 year old kids were coming to the shop, we were, we were the sucker. It was clear they were better at it than we were at negotiating. That's amazing. I love that. Um, as a local card shop owner, what advice would you give, you know, sports card flippers or maybe those cutthroat kids? What, what would you give people or maybe, maybe the suckers? What actually let's rephrase that. <laughs> what advice would you give those suckers um, that are trying to flip? What would you give them? What, what advice would you give them to build their own inventory? Because you've talked about building inventory being a challenge. What advice would you give them trying to build their own inventory? I'd say for newbies, for people that maybe a little intimidated by the hobby but want to get into it, um, you know, if, as long as you have a desire to learn, there's a lot of information out there. None better than like your your podcast, your group of podcasts. Like that's how I learned. Like literally, when I was getting back into the hobby, is listening to a bunch of podcasts and especially yours, and that's why I'm talking to you. Um, so to learn, and I think another thing I would say, there's no better teacher than pain and failure. Um, and so like go out and get out there, do some smaller deals. Like don't do anything that's going to get you hurt bad financially, but do some deals and you'll see some of them will work out. Some will fail. Um, but you will learn like nothing again, pain and failure is the best teacher because you don't want to have that feeling again. And so it really, like, I don't think it's, I don't, I don't ever recommend someone just sit on the sideline forever and just watch and learn and watch and learn and forget to put their foot in because when they finally put their foot in, they're still going to make mistakes, right? So go ahead and do them. Go and get the, get the mistakes out of your system while, while it's small. Um, and then just, uh, keep learning. And then that, that learning will lead you to understand the trends, the trends of where to find cards to buy, what value to offer whether you're buying on eBay or buying at a card show or a card shop trading with your friends. Um, like what works today, what doesn't always work tomorrow because the market is the market changes and it adapts. And so the best way to stay abreast of it is to listen, learn, get in there and do it. And uh, I think you'll, uh, you'll find where you fit in, right? Like you'll find where you find the deals and to buy and to find the way to sell your cards. Trial and error, baby. Getting those reps gives you the feel for it. And the more mm -hmm. feel you have for it, you know, the quicker and better you are and, and get in and get out and make that money. I love it. Okay. Um, last question for today, Duke Denny, one time Dodson from Graybo's sports cards, Graybo's.co use the promo code strategy 2023 to save 10%. Check them out everywhere on Instagram, Graybo's underscore cards. Um, check them out on drip, whatnot, uh, fanatics live. Uh, if they're not there already, they'll eventually be there. Um, Last question. What goals do you have for growing the hobby 
and how do you plan to do so? This is something that has been a big topic of discussion, especially for the last couple of years since Fanatics came in and outbid Panini for all the licensing. There's all this talk of 10xing the hobby. What does that mean to you? What are your goals uh, at, you know, at Graybo's for growing the hobby and how do you plan to do that? It's a great question. And, you know, we have pretty ambitious plans here for our shop. Um, we think what we're getting ready to do is pretty unique. Um, you know, we clearly see this Venn diagram of people who like to watch sports and like to do fantasy sports and bet on sports and sports cards, like all kind of colliding in certain areas. Maybe of those four things, you like one or two or all of the, I like all of those things, right? But not everybody does. Um, so what we are creating in, in Richmond, you know, is our card shop connected to a sports bar. And a lot of programming that's that's gonna um, attract the sports fan, the fantasy sports lover, the sports betting uh, enthusiast to come to the sports bar. And then you're like you're seeing the card shop right over there. Like you're seeing breaks going on. You're seeing giveaways. You're seeing um, somebody buying and selling a big Patrick Mahomes. And like it's, it's gonna I think open some doors in minds of um, it. What I you know I, I like gambling on sports. I'm not afraid to admit it. It's not stigmatized anymore. I can be free. I can be myself and that's fine. I don't have to hide it from my grandma that I bet on sports because it's legal and I can, I can do it on my phone. Um, I don't hide it from my mother-in-law anymore. Susu knows that I like to dabble uh, in Citizen Gray. Um, so shout like, out. <laughs> shout out Susu and Gray. So like, but what I like about sports betting is I like watching it, learning it, get, immersing myself in it. And then like trying to figure out what's my angle. Like, what do I know the public doesn't? What do I, what's my lean? Like, um, I believe in Josh Allen more than this guy, or, you know, I'm going to fade Jalen Hurts because he's injured or whatever it is. Right. And like, you can, you can, um, you can capitalize on that knowledge and gut feel and lean you know, a myriad of ways. You can bet on the Eagles or against them. You can draft Jalen Hurts or not draft Jalen Hurts. Um, and then, but the sports card to me is my favorite way to do that is like investing in the people, right? Like, I could go buy a stock that I believe in like Netflix or something or I could buy stock in Josh Allen. And that to me as a sports fan is the best. It's the ultimate. <laughs> like it's why I'm here. Like I, it's so fun for me to prognosticate and predict. And sometimes I'm right. Sometimes I'm not right, but it, but that's okay. So I do think the sports bar connected uh, seamlessly with this card shop is going to create this experience. It's very unique that you can watch sports. You can play around on the putting green. You can play video games. You can, your like your kids can go shop while you're watching a game. Maybe you pop over there. Maybe you come on a Saturday or a Sunday to watch uh, football at our place, and you've got three games on. That you also have a break going on. So like Sundays at one o'clock and Sundays at four thirty during football season, you can come watch three games, follow your fantasy players on your fantasy team. But maybe there's a prism break going on next door at the shop, and, and that fourth TV you can watch the break. Uh, so like it. In a, an immersive retail experience, I think we're going to turn some sports fans into sports card people. We're going to create a place where collectibles enthusiasts want to come and hang out and like join our community, be part of our community, and have a good time. And I, I think um, everybody in the hobby should do like should be honest and ethical and create these good experiences for people. And if you create good experiences for people, they're going to keep coming back because they they want to they they feel good. They want to feel good again. They're going to come back to you either physically in the store on on whatnot or at a card show. They're going to come see us and. I think that's that's what we're going to do to grow the hobby, and I'm uh, very excited about it. Everybody wants their hobby to be the most fun possible, and all of you at Graybo's Sports Cards are doing all of that to make the hobby the most fun possible. I can't wait. I know our audience can't wait to come to Graybo's 
and check out everything that you've got going on at that new location. And uh, Duke, thanks so much for joining us today on the Sports Card Strategy Show. Real quick, tell our audience the best way to connect with Graybos if they're not in, obviously, if they're in Richmond, Virginia, they got to get their asses over there. But if they're not, how can they connect with you? I would start at Instagram. That's our hub of like, that's our mouthpiece to the world where we kind of talk about everything going on, our Fanatics Live Challenge right now, our breaks on whatnot. We'll tell you when we're going to a card show, maybe near you. We're going to Atlanta in January. We're going to Burbank in February. We'll be at the National. Like we're, we're going we're gonna to hit a lot of regional national shows this year, and we'd love for you to come see us there. But it all starts on Instagram for us. So go there um, and to our website, um, and uh, you'll see what's going on in the Great Bows universe. I mean, so much good stuff right there with Duke, Denny, one-time Dodson. So many good things. I mean, Connor, I want to give you a chance to comment on why you thought this was an amazing interview and, and so valuable for our audience. But a couple things real quick. Shout out to Alex Ortiz in the live chat earlier. I think he made a comment about uh, losing his shirt and some breaks over the weekend. And Duke kind of hit on that as well, being sort of a fun part of the hobby, not necessarily a sports card strategy. But the thing that he said that resonates with me what works today doesn't always work tomorrow. That could not be literally more true as our guidelines, strategies, and plays evolve day by day at nooffseason.com. That is the reason why we have the Sports Card Strategy Show. That's the reason why we have three shows a week. Yes, three, Monday, Wednesday. And for those of you missing out on the Overflow Show, Friday, baby, for premium members of nooffseason.com. So you got to check that out if you don't have a membership get a free 30-day trial at nooffseason.com right now. But Connor, great stuff. Why, why were you pumped about this interview with Duke Denny one time? Yeah, Duke's Duke's just awesome. I'm, I'm super pumped to get together at Culture Collision with the Graybos guys and, and film some content together there. But um, we were talking a little bit backstage while that was playing, Paul, just about the context and how valuable context can be. And I think that, uh, you know, it was, it was discussed during that, during that segment uh, trying to make the hobby like a happy place for everyone and a, and a healthy place for everyone. And I think that as you get context from the people, especially if you're lo using local card shops as a as an avenue to flip uh, and to buy cards and sell your cards and things like that, understanding your buyer, understanding the people that you're working with and getting better context into what their struggles may be, what they're trying to do and things like that just makes for a healthy relationship in terms of transactions. So just a great interview overall. Awesome information from, from, uh, from Duke Dotson. Um, and great to have him on the show per usual. Speaking of someone that's fantastic to have on the show today, we got Janelle Shu, uh, a loyal listener and follower, provides a bunch of good value for us. She's always asking us good questions that get us thinking about our guidelines, strategies, and plays and refine them and things like that. So uh, Janelle's going to break down some of her goals for 2024, uh, which we are excited to help her uh, try to achieve. But uh, go ahead and hop into things with Janelle Shu, Paul. That's right. Like Duke said, I mean, you make experiences better and then happiness will follow and the hobby will be better. And Janelle certainly helps us do that as part of the nooffseason.com fam. What's up, Janelle? Hey, everyone. My name is Janelle. I'm so happy to be a part of the Sports Card Strategy Show community. Um, and I thought I'd share with you my 2024 uh, kind of flipping uh, strategy goals um, for this coming year. So I started back into the hobby in March of 2023, uh, and I originally collected as a kid in the 80s and 90s uh, and dug out my binders of cards um, with the hopes that I'd find some gold 
of course, that didn't work uh, because the 80s and 90s were the, the junk wax era. Um, but I did turn some of those cards into some profit. I had some um, older football cards, older baseball cards that I've been able to post on eBay and sell for a dollar here and there and help kind of build up my um, my positive uh, feedback, which was has been great. Um, and I, at that time, kind of started learning about the current card market and slowly began buying uh, my first graded cards. Uh, and my initial plan uh, or goal was to really keep into uh, the buying into the slabs and not uh, raw cards uh, because buying raw um, still just makes me very nervous uh, as far as the condition of the card that I'm going to uh, receive in the mail. Uh, so I've always been very careful with my money um, to the extent of um, I had some money from last year's Christmas this year. Um, so I'm very careful with how I spend my money. So uh, the raw purchases, card purchases, have always felt a bit more uh, like a gamble. So these initial slab cards um, brought in a small amount of profit. So it was a good start, um, good way to kind of dip my toe into um, sports card flipping. Uh, so at this point, I was hooked. I started learning more about it, found the sports card strategy uh, community, and found myself loving uh, baseball again. Um, but the trouble I've been having is there really has been no focus. Um, now, I by no means have been jumping and purchasing the current trend, but I've I've dipped in a football, baseball, uh, Wemby, uh, Bedard, knowing absolutely nothing about hockey, uh, college, um, and so on and so forth. So kind of like organized chaos, uh, which I've always felt um, comfortable working in. But for my card flipping business, it really doesn't feel like the best method. So with all that said, my first goal for 2024 uh, is to build the foundational process uh, for my sports card flipping business. Um, and there's several different phases to this. Um, so the first one is to determine which sports I wanna pursue, um, including pro and college cards. Uh, once that's kind of figured out, I wanna decide if I wanna invest in uh, any athletes that are no longer playing, like um, Michael Jordan. He's a, a, a personal collection player of mine, but he might be a good uh, flip opportunity. Um, I might be able to give up some cards of his um, or even into to some vintage cards as well. Um, I want to identify which athletes to invest in. So this can go a couple different routes. Do I only want to stick with a couple players? Um, one or two players. I know that's been talked a lot about on the shows as far as just buying and flipping one player, for instance. Do I want to just do that? Uh, it would definitely keep things more simple. Um, or do I want to go with the different categories that um, the team uh, talks about a lot as far as the GOAT, Heroes, and Flyers, and have players in each of those categories? Um, do I do that for just one sport or all the sports that I might be investing in, uh, which would then in turn be potentially a lot of different cards. Um, so I kind of need to flesh that out a little bit. And then once that's all kind of determined and those guidelines, so to speak, are in place, uh, then I can look at identifying the right card to target um, for those selected players. Uh, once that's all kind of fleshed out, um, then the next phase would be my second goal. And I'd really like to build 
my business um, using kind of typical business processes. So like creating a one-year plan, a five-year plan, business plan, and so on and so forth. Uh, so my second goal is to draft a basic business plan uh, with some financial goals. Um, business plans can get super intense and I have no desire to create something that crazy at this point in the game. But my thought is, at least for 2024, figuring out what my financial goals are. Um, so this is kind of similar to what Connor discussed on the most recent show and tell on January 4th, uh, kind of the 1K to 5K thought process, investing 1K and profiting 5K out of that. So I kind of want to determine what my actual numbers would be for this year uh, and then start thinking into the future as well, a two-year goal, a three-year goal. Um, and I might not be able to get too far out until I see really how uh, fortunate I may be with the financial goals I set for this year, but I kind of want to start that mindset a little bit now. Uh, so there you have it. Those are my 2024 uh, goals and uh, strategy planning for this year. Uh, now, of course, I've set many goals throughout my life uh, in my career, um, and it's very difficult to not set them and forget them. So uh, we'll see where, where we're at at the end of the year. But I just want to say thanks so much uh, for listening and for everybody in the sports card strategy um, community. Thanks so much. Great job by Janelle Shu. Very intentional and certainly going to be a successful flipper in 2024 due to her attention to detail and her strategy. And uh, we love Janelle. Janelle, great contribution to the Sports Card Strategy Show. We love all of our audience here in the NoOffseason.com fam. And uh, speaking of the audience, let's jump into audience QA. It's one of my favorite parts of every single episode, Connor. And kicking us off first is Barry Sif. Barry has a question regarding the condition selections of near mint versus excellent in an eBay listing related to raw cards. Obviously, when you're listing on eBay and it's a graded card, you're going to list it as a graded card and then fill out the form selectors as well as the certification number. That part is straightforward. But near mint, excellent are different categories when related to raw cards. And the question is, if we find like a slight imperfection, like a print line or dimple under a microscope, we know they won't gem. But what do we do in our listings? Do we put something like clearly visible signs of wear, which is the excellent definition? So for those of you wondering, excellent is actually more like a PSA 5 or 6, whereas the near mint or better would be like an 8, 9, or 10. Um, Barry's asking, are we okay with listing all of them as near mint or better or better? We just want to be fair, but the excellent rating seems a bit harsh for us. What do you think? This is a great question and I appreciate Barry bringing it to the sports card strategy show. I think that I wouldn't go too harsh on these. I think that the photos are the most important. I think the title is the second most important. And I think you should be pointing people to any of the flaws within the title and the photos and the description. I think the selector of near mint versus excellent actually will not penalize you that much if you get it wrong based on the buyer feedback. That is my experience. If any of you in the audience have different experience, we would love to hear your feedback on this question from Barry. 
drop a comment below at youtube.com slash Paul Hickey. We would really appreciate it. Connor, let's get over into the rest of the audience QA. Who have you got start up here for us in the live chat today? Yeah, I mean, obviously we talked earlier in the show about uh, some potential S or uh, CGC options in terms of uh, the changes that they've made and things like that. So starting things off, we got Power Bros Collect. It says, why not get the old green label 9.5s and then resubmit to CGC for a black label 10 profits? Good point here, Paul. I was curious to, to see what you think. I'm, I'm trying to do this here. Love it, Power Bros Collect. Thanks for bringing this up. Definitely something that CGC has said they will do. You can submit the old green label 9.5 gem mints and you can get the new black label CSG 10s. And uh, we'd have to check in with our friends at CGC to see if now that process is a little bit different and if they are going to be labeling them with their new CGC 10 labels. I would assume yes, but we want to make sure that is the case. I love this as a sports card strategy power bros collect. Great call. Yep. Love where the head's at. Up next, got to be Bodini's cards and comics. More CGC talk says CGC is the PSA of comic books, but they just had a big fiasco with people opening the slabs and switching out books. There were some really high dollar switch outs recently discovered. Paul, what do you know about this? What I know is that I did see some pretty funny YouTube videos about this. And there's a lot of content creators out there that like to get clicks and views based on shock and awe and scandal. We are not those types of content creators. Um, our friend Andy Kaysen over at Football Card Quest and I asked our new friends at CGC about this. And uh, we're going to try to get more information for you all. It's a great question, Bodini. But uh, their initial response was that they were pretty much unfamiliar with uh, the accuracy of this. So, so the, the answer, Bonini, is I don't know. I don't know the answer. And I don't want to pretend to know the answer. However, my gut feeling tells me that this was completely overblown by a lot of content creators hoping to get some shock and awe with some clickbait there. But I could be wrong. I could be wrong. There could be legitimacy behind this. We don't know. We'll try to figure out for you. Appreciate the question. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, Bodini's mentioned CGC being the PSA of comic books, which led Mr. T to ask, do they grade vintage magazines like Sports Illustrated? Paul, is there any market for old SI issues? This is a good question. They do grade magazines. They grade magazines. I'm on their website right now. Uh, currently, it would be, I believe, through cgccomics.com, and they have a modern pricing, magazines 1975 to date uh, for $32 per magazine, economy magazines that are pre-1975, $42 per magazine and standard uh, at $85. So those would be the different service levels based on how quickly you want to get them back as well as the insured cost that they would put on those submissions. But yes, I, I think grading, if you're going to have magazines graded, I think CGC would be a great place to do it. They're known for grading comics. And so I think that off the back of their quality comic book grading and uh, resale value on the secondary market, having a Sports Illustrated magazine graded is a good call. And uh, look, I mean, there was some news over the weekend that Sports Illustrated apparently laid off about 80% of their full-time employees, likely to have some big shakeup with the actual print magazine there. And so uh, with that news, it could be an interesting time to just go back into your collection of old Sports Illustrated magazines and 
thinking that there probably won't be too many new ones printed into the future. Uh, going back and getting some of those old ones graded, they could definitely have that nostalgic factor. And I could see the market for those Sports Illustrated magazines rising into you know the coming decades. Great stuff there, Paul. Up next, we got Brian Steeler, 714, said, good afternoon, better late than never. Better late, never better than late, Brian. I apologize. Uh, good to see you here, Brian. Good good statement here, really, that I wanted to discuss a little bit. It says, after Mahomes loses to the Lions, I'll be buying up Mahomes and Burrow in a month or two when they're at rock bottom. Don't trust anyone else. Maybe CJ Stroud. I think he's a gamer. Paul, to my knowledge, the Mahomes market hasn't really jumped much, even with them uh, now making it to the third round of the playoffs. Do we expect to see a big-time dropout if they lose after the Lions within a couple of months here? What's his market going to look like? It just hasn't been very volatile, even with them winning games. I think Mahomes' market is always going to stay pretty steady because he is basically the active GOAT of the NFL. And I think that with last year's Super Bowl win, it solidified him as someone whose market is probably always going to be pretty solid moving forward and not dip or rise too much. I would expect, though, if the Chiefs do happen to win the Super Bowl, and that's a big if, if they win the Super Bowl, that would definitely spike his market again. However, I think everything else is already built into Patty Mahomes' market, and so I don't see it spiking or dropping too much if the Chiefs were to say win um, the NFC championship game uh, and then lose the Super Bowl. But I do like Brian Steeler 714's thought process here is that um, it'd be a good time to buy Patty when they're eliminated, that's for sure. I mean, when people stop thinking about Patty Mahomes, it's a good time to buy him. And we talked about his card prices did dip a little bit in December due to the Chiefs' poor play and just the overall card market dipping in December and being a good time to buy in. But yeah, I think overall, Patrick Mahomes has a very, very strong card market. And Brian Steele in 714 is on point here to basically uh, buy in after the Chiefs get eliminated. I think Burrow, we already talked about, it's a great time to buy into Burrow. You made the point that it might even be a better time to buy into Burrow after um, football's over for the year. So I think you and Steeler 714 are thinking the same there. He mentioned Stroud. I want to address this. I mean, I've been on record as saying, and I've, I've started to get crushed a little bit, um, which I'm fine with. People are starting to troll me for saying sell C.J. Stroud, but I'm telling you guys, do not buy into C.J. Stroud for at least three to six months after all of his rookie card releases have come out. What that actually means is don't buy him for about a year to 18 months from now because he's going to be red hot. The market will not settle on his card. It's going to be very volatile. That's a recipe for disaster. It's tried and true as a guideline to wait until three to six months after a player's rookie card releases have all been out on the market. I highly I implore, I implore all of you do not buy into CJ Stroud until that point. It's not that you can't make money on him. I mean, Steeler 714 is very astute. A lot of you out there in the audience are very astute flippers. And I realized that was a blanket statement. So I'm not saying that you can't make money on CJ Stroud. I'm saying what you're doing is you're drastically decreasing your chances of making money on a guy like CJ Stroud by buying in until about 12 to 18 months from now. And you're drastically increasing your chances and mitigating risk by waiting until the 2025 offseason to buy into CJ Stroud and then make money on him during the hype rise of the NFL 
2025 season starting. That is my CJ Stroud play, Connor. Yeah, good stuff. We're not speculating on him having a poor year next year or anything like that. We're simply looking at historical trends that say the prints that are out now will be devalued when the newer prints come out later. Those are the ones you're going to want to invest in. So wait, hang tight. The prices will come down and the market will be in a spot to where you should then be buying CJ Stroud. Up next, we got SP123 says this is the Ravens year. They're going to win it all. Why did I start this? Because I want to talk about Lamar Jackson real quick, Paul. When are we going to tell people to sell Lamar Jackson? He's up 22.7% the last 30 days overall in his graded card market. When do you think there's a time to get rid of those Lamar Jackson prints that have seen healthy spikes over the last few weeks? After he wins this weekend, man, there'll be a sell alert. You know, I mean, if he beats the Chiefs, there'll be a sell alert. If he loses to the Chiefs and, and plays a good game, it still might be a decent time to sell Lamar Jackson. Um, you know, check out the cheat sheet. It was updated. So the real answer is premium members to nooffseason.com can get the NFL playoffs cheat playoffs, Jim Mora playoffs cheat sheet at nooffseason.com. Go there right now, get the cheat sheet. That's that gives you the real answer on a card by card basis of what to do with your Lamar Jackson cards, a little bit more detailed. But I think to answer your question for SP123 and have the discussion around SP123's comment here. The selling marker for Lamar Jackson is after the Ravens beat the Chiefs in the AFC title game. That's when you list his cards. You are going to maximize the you-know-what out of those profits. There's also potentially the MVP award. So let's say let's say he loses to the Chiefs. What you might want to do is hold your Lamar Jackson cards until the MVP award announcement. Then there could be a sell alert for Lamar Jackson. What do you think, Connor? Yeah, the, you saved you saved my next question at the end there, Paul. I was What I was going to say is that the reason that we're not necessarily saying you need a list right now with an auction ending before that Chiefs game starts to mitigate risk is because you have another marker that can present itself even if they do lose to the Chiefs because he is the odds favorite to win that MVP there. So you mitigate your own risk uh, just by the, how well he's played throughout the season. So good point there, Paul. Up next, we're going to roll into Shane Graham. So sorry if this was discussed earlier as I had to jump out for a bit. Is there still time to grab Caleb Williams, Marvin Harrison Jr., and other Bowman first to get graded, or is time running out? Paul, thoughts here? Shane, never apologize, my man. You are one of our favorite family members here. Great question. There is still time, my friend. There is still time. Caleb Williams, Bowman Chrome first. Marvin Harrison Jr., Bowman Chrome first. There is all time to get them right now and get them graded. I mean, PSA is proving to have that 30-day turnaround time and possibly even with the grading special before January 31st, a 50-day turnaround time, you could still get them back in time for the selling marker of the late April NFL draft. If everything goes well with that 50-day turnaround time, there's even some time built in on the calendar just in case they don't hit that 50-day turnaround time, Shane. So I think there's absolutely still time to get those cards graded. I would, I'm, I'm still trying to acquire some last-minute Caleb Williams, Marvin Harrison Jr., and Drake May autos. If I can get some deals on them, I'm getting those autos graded. Even the the Dr. Crack play that uh, Connor and Crack talked about earlier in today's show with Marvin Harrison Jr., base and refractor, there's time to get those puppies turned around. So great question, Shane. Let us know how you do on that. We'd love to know. Totally agree, Paul. Unless you have more, I think that might be wrapping it up for today's show. I had a fantastic time. You got anything else to add? 
Let us know what you think. Drop a comment at youtube.com slash Paul Hickey or DM us at Sports Card Strategy on Instagram. We want to make this show the best possible for all of you out there in the audience. Everybody, thanks so much and have a great day. Thanks so much for being here with us on the Sports Card Strategy Show. To connect with us further, please subscribe to the YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Paul Hickey. Please also give us a follow on Instagram at Sports Card Strategy and on X at No Offseason Card. We also have a Discord that you could join at sportscardstrategy.com. Everyone, I'm Paul Hickey. For the rest of us here at NoOffSeason.com, have a great day. We'll see you again soon.